Live from New York, I'm Julia Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. Reserves released. President Biden leads a global effort to lower oil prices. Rivian's reverse. The EV truck maker no longer working with big investor Ford. The stock slumps. And block the boss. Portugal's labor minister on making it illegal to contact workers out of hours. It's Tuesday. Let's make a move. Welcome to First Move once again and plenty of news to try and explain, including Fed Chair Powell poised for a further four-year reign. Prepare for rate hikes, though, as he's vowed to ease the pricing pain. The White House announcing a deal to make energy costs less insane. And in EV land, as I mentioned, Rivian's stock price rise looking tougher to maintain. Here's the global stock market picture with futures reflecting yesterday's struggle. The initial U.S. stock market rally yesterday, I think, a response to reduced uncertainty over the role of the next Fed chair. Then came the caution with tech stocks falling well over 1% with the decision out of the way. Jay Powell now has arguably free reign to react to thorny issues like inflation and suddenly bond markets are pricing two rate hikes in the first half of next year. The key question is whether rate hikes can even help with this, most importantly perhaps, and secondly whether the energy price rises and the supply chain kinks are perhaps already easing. JP Morgan thinks that may be the case for iPhones at least, with Apple's shares rising to records on their report. But the real news today is in the energy markets. Well, pretty choppy, actually, after the U.S. administration confirmed it will release some 50 million barrels of oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. 32 million barrels of that will be exchanged over the next several months. So there's a timing key here. The hope is that it will help ease energy costs for U.S. consumers and beyond because it's expected to be part of a coordinated effort with other non-OPEC plus nations. And that's where we begin the drivers. Christine joins us. Now, Christine, you have an idea of where I'm going to take this conversation, but let's first talk about the release of some of those strategic reserves. President Biden has been under serious pressure to do something about high energy costs. Yeah, the optics of high gas prices really tough in this country. I mean, even as uh, the reason one of the reasons why gas prices are high is because we've come out of the the near standstill of the COVID shutdowns last year. Remember when oil prices briefly went negative, right? Because you had to pay someone to take your oil off your hands. And now this year, the opposite. You don't have enough supply to meet roaring demand in the U.S. and around the world. And you've got these supply chain uh, hiccups. You have OPEC plus a powerful cartel that isn't raising its production targets as much as uh, oil-consuming nations would like. So you've got a little bit of petropolitics happening here as well. In the U.S., though, this is a president and a White House that knows keenly that the American people do not like to pay $15 more for a gallon of gas, a tank full of gas, rather, this year than last year. And so that just trajectory, that daily and weekly reminder of higher prices is something that's hurting confidence in this country, even when we know the U.S. GDP is back to pre-pandemic levels, jobs are starting to come in yet the gas price thing is a real it's a real optics problem for this white house so how they handle it is critical oh there's a smorgasbord of information in there and it's tough to choose what to do um i love the idea of petrol politics it's complicated if you're a nation at the very least trying to target 
either supply or targeting prices, you're asking for all sorts of trouble based on what we've seen in, uh, in terms of history trying to achieve this. But I guess I would tie some of the stories together here. The idea of JP Morgan saying some of the supply chain kinks, perhaps for Apple at least, uh, are coming out here. Some of the data is suggesting that maybe we've seen the peak, perhaps, right. even in energy prices. And I just wonder whether what we're seeing here in terms of a strategic oil release comes at a time when we're already on the downward trend for many of these issues or an improving trend, let's call it that. And that would be some good luck for the Biden administration, wouldn't it? Because they have for weeks, we've been talking to these other players. We know China, South Korea and the UK and India uh, and Japan, who they say will have coordinated releases with them. Still waiting to see the details from each of those uh, countries, though. But the fact that it is a coordinated um, SPR release is important. It shows that they've got some um, they've got some other uh, other folks on, on board here. It makes it a little bit more bang uh, for your buck. But we've also been hearing from people inside the White House that they've been watching sort of the the, the through traffic from ports and and rails and and trucks. And they're starting to see that mess kind of work itself out. We know that some of the big retailers have just bypassed the traditional system themselves and have bought their own uh, container ships and and trucking routes and and the like so they can make sure that there are products on the store shelves. So it might be that the worst of that supply chain mess is behind us. And maybe the peak is in for oil for the year. Then you put this political effort by the, uh, you know, international political efforts, you know, spearheaded by the White House on top of things. Maybe they'll get a little bit of credit for um, for trying to do more on inflation, because there was a time in the past few weeks when uh, there were those who were especially people who are opponents of this administration who are trying to say that the White House was tone deaf on the daily and weekly suffering of American families uh, in terms of inflation. So this is a this is a maybe symbolic, but certainly important move here. Yeah. And the timing to yeah, our point could be a stroke of luck or a stroke of genius. You decide. <laughs> <laughs> Christine Romans, thank you so much. That's all. welcome. To Europe now, where temperatures are plunging and COVID cases are on the rise. The French Prime Minister has tested positive despite being fully vaccinated, while Austria's Chancellor has stern words as the country's lockdown enters day two. Sama Abdelaziz is in Vienna once again for us. Sama, and I think I saw the um, Labour Minister talking this morning about the likely impact perhaps on jobs, on businesses, particularly in the busy run-up to the holiday, the Christmas period in particular, to have lockdowns like this. What are we talking in terms of economic impact? Can you give us any sense of what people there are saying or at least worried about? Absolutely, Julia. There's definitely a sense of despondence. I mean, this is the second holiday season that businesses are missing out on. I mean, we were in a Christmas market when they were literally shutting their doors. They'd only just opened, of course, a few days before and now shuttered, unsure if they're going to even open to take advantage of the Christmas season. This is a city iconic for its Christmas. It's beautiful museums. You've got the ski slopes, which are all shut down. If you go on the tourism website there, it says we are closed for business, Julia. You're talking about potentially 400 thousand people in this country that could need government subsidies. Uh, Local media reporting, you could see over a billion dollars in losses that could increase depending on how long uh, this period of lockdown goes. It's about 20 days now, but it could be extended if the crisis continues. But the Austrian chancellor was absolutely unequivocal. He needs to see more people vaccinated before this country reopens. Remember, it's only 66% of the population that is fully immunized. That's what, let's take a listen to what he had to say on that. That's the thing that saddens me most. We have enough vaccines. We have, science gave us the possibility, the exit ticket out of this vicious circle of 
virus waves and lockdown discussions. And uh, simply not enough people are using this, this possibility and, and taking this exit ticket. Now, the Chancellor has, of course, announced that Austria will be the first country in Europe to mandate vaccines, Julia, by February 1st. Everyone in this country has to be immunized. Otherwise, they could face fines. And if you ask some of the doctors and nurses in this country, these vaccine mandates, these restrictions against the unvaccinated, they're working. I'll give you one example. On November 19th, Vienna, this city right here, saw a record number of people getting their shots more people getting immunized than in a 24-hour period at any point in this pandemic. The healthcare system say they are on the brink and they absolutely need these restrictions in place to try to stave off these infection rates, Julia. Yeah, Summer, stay safe, please. And thank you for joining us on that Summer Abdelaziz in Vienna there. Okay, let's move on. A £1 billion booster. AstraZeneca cutting the ribbon today on a costly new research and development centre in Cambridge, England. The COVID vaccine maker hoping the facility will help drive the next wave of medical innovation. Anna Stewart is there for us. And Anna, I believe you could caught up with the CEO too. What did he have to say about this investment? And of course, he's very keen to show off this fancy new building. It costs $1.3 billion. And actually, His Royal Highness Prince Charles is in there right now unveiling it officially. Um, This is where new uh, medicines will be developed, particularly for cancer, cardiovascular, rare diseases. These are the real growth areas for AstraZeneca. Of course, we're always interested to hear a lot about their COVID-19 vaccine. That has been critical, of course, to the world. And that is where we really started our discussion. And I asked him how uh, it has been going over the last year and a half, given all of the negative headlines that have been about this vaccine, despite its relative success. And he has some interesting thoughts, particularly he said that perhaps his vaccine, he suggested, could have a more durable immune response in terms of T-cells compared to mRNA vaccines such as the Pfizer one, without, of course, the data, though, at this stage to back it up. But given the fourth wave of COVID cases sweeping across Europe, as you're speaking to Sam Abdelaziz just there, he had this advice for governments in Europe. Vaccinate people and they're doing it. And of course, uh, when we're appropriate, continue to use masks. I think it is important people don't give up the masks too quickly. Um, So, of course, we can't spend our entire life with masks on, but uh, we should get into the habit of wearing them where necessary and and not elsewhere. But vaccinations are really the first line of defense. They are also, or they have also developed an antibody cocktail jab that they hope will be authorized soon, perhaps in the US, although their COVID-19 vaccine still hasn't been authorized there. And it's been quite interesting that such a great feat to develop a successful vaccine manufacturer distribute it but actually this vaccine has generated so many negative headlines for AstraZeneca rather than plaudits in many ways whether it was the delayed shipments to Europe who launched legal proceedings against them whether it was that rare side effect related to blood clotting which limited its use by some countries or of course the fact that efficacy rates in those initial phase three trials Uh, came in slightly lower than mRNA vaccines. So he's certainly trying to boost confidence uh, about the COVID-19 vaccine. It's important, I think, to remember that at this stage, you know, AstraZeneca have been making this at cost. They have not been profiting from the vaccine, unlike many of their rivals. And we know that COVID-19 vaccines have actually created eight or nine new billionaires due to the rising share prices of some of uh, the pharmaceutical companies out there. AstraZeneca is now going to charge more for their vaccines. For those countries that can afford it how much more you wouldn't say julia 
Yes, but it was good that you asked. But your point as well about the T-cell response <laughs> to this vaccine as well, relative to the mRNA vaccines. And of course, we don't test for T-cell response and that form of immunity. Very, very interesting. But again, as you quite rightly said, we need the data. You can hear the full interview with the AstraZeneca CEO on tonight's Quest Means Business. Good job, Anna. Thank you very much for joining us on that. We're back after this. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move. The right to rest. Portugal has just made it illegal for bosses to contact employees outside of working hours. The goal? A better work-life balance for people working from home. Issa Suarez explains how, for the Portuguese, the world of work is changing. The Portuguese parliament here behind me has approved one of the most employee-friendly labour laws in an attempt really to preserve the work-life balance as people continue to work from home. Now, under this new law, bosses are not allowed to contact employees outside of working hours, and that basically means no phone calls, no text messages and no emails, or else they'll be fined. The new law says employers must also pay working from home expenses, such as increased electricity, gas and internet bills. On the streets of Lisbon, many told me this law was essential. With working from home, there was an extension of our working hours, and unfortunately some bosses could have had a tendency to abuse that. I know what my colleagues and I went through in the lack of regard for working hours, because they're not respected. People nowadays have to be available 24 hours a day, because they have a company cell phone or a work computer. People have to have their own lives. I think there should be some sort of regulation in regards to questions of working from home. I'm not sure that just because it's been written in law that it will be effective enough for it to be respected. Portugal's ruling Socialist Party is hoping the new labour law will attract digital nomads to their shores. This gives power to workers that can choose the best place to live and to work to uh, any part of the world. Of course, it also gives a huge opportunity to companies that can uh, have the best talent in the world no matter where the workers live. It is perhaps a bit too soon to tell how exactly this law will be implemented, but it was one of the last measures taken by Parliament before it was dissolved ahead of a snap election next year where jobs and the economy are likely to be the main issues. Isa Suarez, CNN. Lisbon, Portugal. Now for more on this, Portugal's Labour Solidarity and Social Security Minister, Ana Mendes Godinho, joins us now. Hello. Minister, fantastic to have you with us. And we just gave our viewers a teaser of you there uh, in that little, uh, that little package. Um, Minister, let's talk about this. Um, the world of work is evolving through the pandemic, after the pandemic. I think what you're saying is, and someone said it there, people's time needs to be respected. How are you going to ensure that with this piece of the law specifically, workers and are left alone by their employers? Well, first of all, hello to everyone from Portugal, hoping to, uh, to have you here and to have you experiencing what's working in Portugal, because we are also promoting Portugal as the best country to live and to work in a remote way. So this is one, one of the pieces that we are working on, of course. And uh, yes, I agree with you. The pandemic showed us all that we have to have a better work-life balance between uh, work, family, personal life. 
and this is what we try to uh, include in the discussion in Portugal, discussing what the future of work must be. The future that it's not future. The, the pandemic showed how much present it is at the time. And we all know how teleworking or, or remote working in a massive way showed us all that we have to have some clarification of some rules to guarantee that we have a better work-life uh, balance and that uh, also work takes part of our life in a balanced way. So this is the, the, the purpose of the, the, the amendment that was made by the parliament in Portugal, um, trying exactly to clarify the law. Of course, it was just approved uh, these, uh, recently, so let's see how it will be then implemented. But, it, it, but the, main, the main focus is to have some clarification in some of the rules, namely, as you said, the right to disconnect, but also in terms, for example, for parents, to guarantee that parents that have children up to eight years old, they can choose to work in a remote work or teleworking. So guaranteeing that they have a better uh, way of managing their lives with children, with family, uh, because also the pandemic, I think, showed how much we must guarantee that the social dimension is part and it's the basis of our common life. Minister, I understand. And I think um, a lot of people, I think, will be identifying if they're working from home or have been work from ho working from home, what you're trying to do here. Um, how are you going to enforce it, though? And are there, As I just... uh, but wait, are there, sorry, sorry. Um, are there the ability for, or is there the ability for an employer to say to a worker, look, sign this piece of paper and that means you sign away your right not to be contacted? Because there are jobs that require perhaps being contacted. Can you sign the right away as an employee? Well, uh, the, the, the rule that was approved states that uh, um, it is a right of the worker and uh, that the, the, the employer uh, can only um, uh, contact the worker if it is an urgent uh, subject or if it's necessary. So the law also uh, foresees the, the situations where, where there is a need, in fact, to contact, but the rule is to guarantee that there is this, this separation between uh, work life and uh, family life. Of course, this, this uh, does not include, as you can imagine, some uh, areas where you have special responsibilities and that you have not a defined uh, timetable uh, oh. schedule. So and this is for business. workers who have a schedule, a concrete schedule that have to comply. And small business is excluded, I believe, as well, if you have yes, less than 10 excluded. employees, because this is an important exactly, aspect too. Exactly. You know, I've exactly. spoken to a couple of lawyers about this and they say, bottom line, if you're a company, expect higher costs as a result of, of the plans that you've now put into place. Is that part of the deal? And your message is, look, companies in Portugal, you can wear the cost here. You have enough money. No, well, the, the, main, uh, the main purpose of these laws, I was uh, telling you, is to guarantee that we have a clarification and uh, that uh, we have more uh, life balance between work and uh, personal life. And uh, uh, the main idea to get is to guarantee, of course, that teleworking or remote working does not mean an increase of costs for workers. So the idea is exactly to guarantee that uh, the, the cost of this type of work is not uh, increased for the worker, 
but yes. it's assumed so it's, no it's, it's not, born, it's, not it's born by the employer it's it's born by the companies not the worker when when there is an increase of costs due to, to this type of worker for the, uh, for the worker so this is only that case when you have an increase of costs for example because you have to be uh, you have to have an uh, more uh, access to internet whatever in that case the the costs must be supported by uh, the the enterprise but i have to say uh, as we all know um, the teleworking and remote work uh, do open a huge opportunity to work uh, the work relations uh, employers can find the best worker wherever he is uh, in the world at the same time the worker can all, all also find the employer the best employer employer for uh, his um, his comp competencies so the main idea here is first to have uh, a law with clarified rules so that people don't have doubts during the pandemic there were many situations that people didn't know what to do or what the rules were so mm. we try to clarify so that things the rules are clear and at the same time as i was saying to promote a more uh, balanced life between work and personal life and, uh, and to guarantee uh, to balance the different interests in the in the this type of situation I want to talk about one of the other policies that I saw, um, which was a 5,000 euro payout. As you've alluded to, you want to promote Portugal as a great place for digital nomads. A 5,000 euro payout, I believe, if a Portuguese citizen or a foreigner wants to come and live in rural parts of Portugal and work for at least a year. How many people do you think are going to take up that 5,000 euro promise, how many people are you expecting to move to, to rural Portugal? Well, I think the, the price is not what will motivate necessarily people. What we saw during the pandemic was that many people decided to move to rural areas exactly mm. because of safety, quality of life. And because uh, with the pandemic, it was obvious that you can work from any part of the world to any part of the world. And I don't have to, to explain you, but uh, Portugal does have uh, huge advantages in terms of climate, in terms of safety, <laughs> in terms of quality of, of life. So we decided to take up this moment, to take up the, this, the, the, the advantages of remote working, to promote Portugal as this place for workers who want to work to any place in the world in a very comfortable comfortable country and that's why we decided to launch this program initially initially it was only for portuguese uh, citizens and residents but we decided to open this to foreigners foreigners because we do uh, want and do welcome anyone who wants to come to rural areas in portugal uh, taking uh, the advantage of this future of work type of work who can allow you to be here in a very uh, pleasant country, a welcoming country, but uh, um, positioning ourselves as this country who is also uh, creating a special program to help people who want to move to Portugal with this um, purpose, not only with this um, allowance to help uh, to, to the settlement, but uh, uh, also helping in terms of finding, uh, finding houses, finding, fi finding a place yes. to stay. So this is the idea. <laughs> 
<laughs> We're just showing some really beautiful pictures of Portugal. I have to say, 11 hours, interrupted sleep a night, rural Portugal. I'm sold. So I, I can't expect I, <laughs> I have to I have to I, wrap you up there. It has been great to talk to you. Come back okay. and talk to us. I hope soon, you're here. Yeah. I'm going to take that as an, advent, an invite. <laughs> Portugal's Minister of Labour, Solidarity and Social Security, Ana Mendes Godinho. Minister, fantastic to chat Welcome. to you. Welcome. Thank you. The market opens next. Stay with us. <laughs>
Yeah. So for bank transfers, it's a cheaper payment method than debiting credit cards on MoonPay. We can do that for 1%. Uh, and we're always trying to reduce our transaction costs as we scale. Uh, the business has been bootstrapped to this point, and you know, part of the reason that we're raising a Series A is to make our costs even more competitive than they are today. Uh, we really had to optimize our business to stay uh, to have runway and to be profitable. Kind of going forward, we really want to position the business for growth and enable more and more people to enter the crypto economy. Yeah, I mean, this is quite fascinating. I mentioned you've been profitable since you launched just in 2019. I did read you're seeing 35 times growth in transaction volume in just the space of, of two years. Is that right? Talk to me. Can you give me more numbers about the kind of growth transaction volume that you're seeing? Yeah, I mean, we've had a phenomenal run. I think the pandemic was a black swan event, obviously really tough for people all around the world. Um, but what I think it also did was it shifted people to understanding that the future of the economy would be digital. And we saw an explosion of growth across a number of different cryptocurrency wallets. One of the really beautiful things about cryptocurrency and uh, all these digital assets is they trade 24 uh, seven. And so for us, I think with the pandemic, we just saw an explosion of activity across all of these different uh, applications. Numbers. What kind of growth are uh, you seeing? Yeah, well, well I, I think for us, you know, we've been consistently growing month on month, uh, about 30 percent. Uh, and kind of looking at, you know, inception of the business, we've done over $2 billion of transaction volume on debit and credit cards. And we plan over the next year to continue to grow at this rapid pace. Wowzers. And for how long? How sustainable do you think this is? And that comes down to where we are in the growth phase, I think, of people understanding to some degree crypto, investing in crypto, utilizing crypto in many different forms. As you said, you do this for a number of different platforms and and different uses. Yeah. So, you know, I think ultimately, what are we trying to solve here? Um, If you think about it, I think the best analogy I can use is telecoms, right? So you remember uh, it was very expensive to do a long distance phone call. And then what you had, you had all these different systems in different parts of the world that didn't communicate with one another. And then you had the advent of something called voice over IP or voice over the internet protocol. So the internet really brought, you know, the cost of long distance phone calls down. And we saw innovation from applications like Skype and today to applications like Zoom. We're using voice over IP today. I think the exact same thing is going to happen to financial services. So you essentially have all these different systems in the world that don't communicate with one another. And because of that, you have high transaction costs. A lot of these technologies were built before the internet. I see the blockchain as money over the internet protocol and eventually getting to a place where transaction costs become closer to zero and it becomes faster, more efficient and more secure for people to move value all around the world. And so I would say where we are now is we're kind of in the dial-up phase. You know, we're still determining what is the blockchain that ultimately everyone's going to use. But over time, you know, we expect uh, to be positioned to connect to whatever blockchain the market ultimately decides is the winner. Wow. So you think we're not even sure about where and who the winner is going to be. What about other financial services? Is that what you also hope to provide in the future? Right now, we're squarely focused on making this passport uh, you know, into crypto and out of crypto simple. I think that's kind of our, our square focus. And for us, it's about connecting every single payment method across every geography where we can legally do so and really focusing on best in class conversion. If someone wants to start that journey, we want to make it as simple and intuitive as possible. Who's your biggest competition in this space? 
Yeah, well, I think, you know, we're doing things quite unique where, you know, we believe in this called non-custodial, which means we think that time the user experience is going to improve and customers are going to be able to hold on to their private keys. And what that means is they can unlock this whole new economy of Web3. There's all these applications where you need to link and connect to your wallet. Um, we think what we're doing is quite unique in that respect. Um, some people compare us to PayPal, but you know, in the concept of PayPal, it's a walled garden. You, know, you can only have your crypto inside of PayPal. You can't interact with this wide variety of applications. So uh-huh. we think what we're doing is quite unique. Yeah, interesting. What do you make of your valuation, by the way? $3.4 billion began the company in 2019. Yeah, for us, it's been obviously a phenomenal journey, uh, especially <laughs> as a strap business. Um, You're very you know, calm really about have- that. That's a very calm response. <laughs> we, well, we, we, have, we have huge ambitions for the business. We're, you know, in, in our respect, we think we're just getting started. Uh, it's still the very beginning of this crypto economy. And for us, it's about enabling as many positive use cases for people to actually have crypto impact them in everyday lives. I feel like when the um, camera switches off, you're going to turn around and jump, jump around about that valuation. Um, is that a real space, space helmet, by the way, over your right shoulder? Yeah. So, so there's a there's a funny story behind that space helmet. Uh, obviously, we're, we're moon pay, so we're really into kind of space theme concepts. Uh, I actually had, uh, and, and this might be a little bit of a surprise, but we had Buzz Aldrin wear that helmet. Uh, we're, we're doing something very cool with Buzz, which we'll share uh, in the coming weeks, and, and uh, you, you'll see more more of that helmet. Wow! But Buzz actually wore that helmet. Now that. Buzz wore that helmet, which is just super it's very cool. cool. So that's why I have five. Yeah, it's, it's my uh, my inspiration. Yeah, that's the biggest smile I've seen you give. Come back, please, and talk to us about that announcement. And we'll talk more about the business. Great to have you with us. And um, congratulations, Ivan Sotomayor, co-founder and CEO of MoonPay. Great to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, coming up. No presents? No problem. A Brazilian unicorn helps international giants do business in Latin America. We speak with the founder and CEO next. Welcome back to First Move. You might think that global giants like Amazon and Alibaba have a strong presence everywhere they operate. Not necessarily. Sometimes it's a lot easier to have someone local facilitate your services. Enter eBanks, a Brazilian unicorn that gives foreign retailers access to Latin America without multiple foreign currency exposure or the language barriers. eBanks processed $3.5 billion worth of transactions in 2020, and its newly released annual study shows there's plenty more growth to come in their view. Joining us now is co-founder and CEO of eBanks, Joao Del Valle. Joao, fantastic to have you on the show. You're actually calling LATAM a hyper-growth market for e-commerce and digital payments. What does that mean in practice? Can you give us the numbers? Sure, Julia. Thanks for having me. I think this is the, this is the moment for LATAM. It's really it, in the past two years the region has been accelerating. It says to be it's said to be the region that has the highest growth in e-commerce in the world. So the region that grows the most. And for the next uh, years until 2025, the whole region is still expected to grow more than 30% per year. So that means almost tripling up until 2025 so really fantastic opportunity for consumers and for merchants and global companies to really connect and uh, and, and take advantage of this new digital space 
And this is not just about Argentina, Brazil, the Mexico, the obvious countries that you think about. This is also happening in Central America as well. Exactly. Yeah, the region as a whole is going to grow that like 30% a year, amazing growth. But there are specific regions like Central America, Paraguay, Peru, which are growing even more, like more than 50% or sometimes even 80% per year, because these regions, they, these countries, they are sometimes in the early stages of the digital commerce age. So we can expect much more acceleration there. So a lot to happen in terms of growth, really. And how much of this is being done by mobile phones versus desktops? Because it's a, a confluence of factors here. It is sort of digital penetration and the penetration of broadband access, mobile phone access that's facilitating this. I believe it's around two thirds done on mobile phones. Is that, is that right? Yeah, that, that gap has been crossed, like that, that uh, balance between desktop, desktop and mobile with the acceleration of the caused by the pandemic, but also I think what happened in the pandemic is digital inclusion and financial inclusion. So yeah. people had more access, they had more access to smartphones and also on uh, digital payment means. So they're all included in the digital space now so they can join uh, the, the big world of, of global commerce. And yeah. OK, I'm going to try and ask then and get to grips with what this means for for retailers. I mean, if we take, for example, in Brazil, Mercado Libre is still, I guess, the biggest in terms of e-retailer. In established markets, you know, we often talk about the simplicity of payments. We talk about get the product that I've just bought online to me as soon as possible. Are we starting to see that push from consumers as well? They're sort of expecting more from their retailers. And what does that mean for some of the external competitors, the Walmarts, the Amazons, for example, that, that you're dealing with and are pushing into this space? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we are living, we're living exactly an age that we call uh, the age of instant gratification, right? People want everything right now, instantly. <laughs> uh, they use TikTok, they use Reels, Instagram, everything. So you, they want to have those 15 seconds, 30 seconds of everything. And in e-commerce is the same thing. So people really want to buy instantly. They want to pay instantly. Even if they don't have a credit card, now they can have instant payments. And that's, there are initiatives for that all over LATAM. And instant deliveries, like same, some th things that were maybe more common in the U.S. or more developed countries. Now, uh, as it's getting, we're getting a lot of demand that from the Latin American consumers as well to get same-day delivery, even yeah. 20 minutes delivery, 30 minutes delivery. So, so yeah, there's a lot of push for, for service quality and, and instant gratification. Great to be a consumer. Great to be in your business, too. I, I want to talk about that. But first, you need to explain to me what PIX, P-I-X, is that operates in Brazil. Because 12 months ago, I hadn't even heard from this. And I read in your report that over half the population of Brazil now use this. What is PIX? Yeah, that was a fantastic thing that was designed and built by the Central Bank of Brazil. And all the banks and payments institutions participated. And what is that? is an instant payment method that you can do bank transfers in 10 seconds, in under 10 seconds, so it's instantaneous, it's free. So if a person is gonna do a transfer to, to another person, that's free, free of charge, and it's widely available. And every person that has a smartphone can have a bank account or a payments account, and they will join the PIX ecosystem. So it's instantaneous, instantaneous widely available and free. So that created a huge boom. 
So in, in, in 12 months since it was launched, now half of the population of Brazil use it. So more than 100 million people are using PIX. So, and the young generation, but also the older people, my mother, my father-in-law, they all do PICs because it's so simple and it's really reducing the, the need for use of cash. And now everybody's really on the financial inclusion and doing bank transfers for all, all purposes. So really amazing system and all the banks joined. So good, good thing is happening. Yeah, other central banks should be looking at this. You know, when I introduced you, I mentioned that you processed in 2020, I believe, $3 billion worth of volume. And the banner across the bottom there just said, you can see it processing $7 billion plus transactions this year. So that gives my viewers a sense of the growth that eBanks personally is seeing. Just walk us through the scale of growth that you're seeing, the expansion into different parts of Latin America that you're seeing. And then you can tell me whether or not you plan an IPO in the early part of 2022. Yeah, um, <laughs> our mission, Julia, <laughs> has always been to connect Latin Americans to global commerce. And yeah. that's a clear mission, connect Latin Americans to global commerce. If, if whatever they're buying, if they're buying digital goods or online streaming, anything, we're gonna do that. So, and we've been paving the way and we're even building a lot of infrastructure for that in terms of payments, in terms of people. We have more than a thousand people working with us and building products for the people we work with. And uh, for the future, we're excited to connect even more people. So enable banks in all the big merchants of the world or in the big digital com companies of the world. So imagine this, the region is growing a lot, it's tripling mm -hmm. up. And these digital companies that we work with are also growing a lot. Uh, so these are the fastest growing companies of the planet. So we can expect a, a huge explosion of growth in Latin America in the digital space. And we as eBanks, we're paving the way for that in the means especially of payments. Yeah, markets growing, retailers and those that are accessing the market are growing and you're capturing both IPO, Joao, IPO. Uh, yeah, I cannot discuss cannot that confirm. right now, but uh, <laughs> when, if I can, uh, you'll be the first one to know. He says, <laughs> smiling broadly and looking out the window. <laughs> we shall see. Come back and talk to us soon, please. Thank you. Early next year, perhaps. Okay, thank Joel, you. Joel Delval, great to have you on the show. Co-founder and CEO of eBank. Thank you. More first Appreciate move it. after this. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move and to a shock in the EV market. Rivian and Ford say they're no longer working together on an electric vehicle. The stock fell 17% at one point on Monday's trading session. It closed down 8%. It's now up some 2%, but volatile Paula Monica joins me now. Firstly, the bumper gains, I think, makes everybody nervous at these lofty heights. But there had been talk that Ford and Rivian would work together Ford also a huge investor, which perhaps also played into the price action we saw yesterday. What do you think? Yeah, I think, Julia, that uh, there should be legitimate concerns about Rivian losing this Ford partnership, especially when you factor in that Rivian doesn't have, forget about profits, doesn't even have any revenue yet. It's really <laughs> all just a, a dream and a hope and a wing and a prayer. They do have that relationship with Amazon, which uh, is pledging to buy electric vehicles. And Amazon also owns a very large stake in Rivian. So I think that's supporting the stock price a bit. And 
as we pointed out, Rivian still has a market value that's higher than Ford because 2021, why the heck not? Yeah, I mean, Ford has got proof of actually being able to manufacture, get cars out there, service those cars. It's got legacy, but it also has a competitive situation with Rivian, too. I mean, their Ford 150 Lightning vehicle is going to hit the market. They're going to begin deliveries next year. So in terms of the competition, for me, it makes sense that the relationship breaks down. The bigger issue is, or at least they don't work together anymore because they're in competition. Do they continue to remain a shareholder in Rivian? Which is perhaps the bigger question, yeah. and I think yeah, your you do point, yeah, you uh, pull back at some point. Do you think that's a possibility? I think it's possible. I mean, when you look at this environment that we're in right now in the electric vehicle market, I mean, Tesla is clearly the king, and I think everyone else is scrambling to try and uh, gain market share, and that's happening both with the legacy auto companies, your GMs, Fords, Toyotas. Volkswagens of the world, but now all of these upstarts. You have not just Rivian, Julia, but mm. Lucid, which recently went uh, public uh, as well through a SPAC deal, and they have a you know a stock that has been uh, soaring also. So I think there is this investor enthusiasm for all things electric right now, and it might be just a little ahead of itself. Yeah, the frothiness is the perhaps the biggest story here in terms of the uh, short-term stock prices, but. I apologize for interrupting you. Amazon is the key here. And I talked to the CEO of Rivian about this, about whether that was a concrete agreement to buy Rivian trucks. And um, he would neither confirm nor deny. But I think that's the key to the share price above all. Paul, great to have you with us. Paul and Monica, thank thank you. you so much as always. And finally, on first move. You shall not pass. Lawyers representing the estate of the Lord of the Rings author J.R.R. Tolkien have taken action against the developers of a cryptocurrency that called itself J.R.R. Token. Lawyers accused the product of infringing the author's trademark and have now recovered the domain name associated with it. We end the show on this story for you. Just think of it as our token of appreciation. Yes, I tried. That's it for the show. Stay safe. Connect the world with Becky Anderson is next and I'll see you tomorrow. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.